Hey everyone, welcome to this episode of Essay Voices from the Field. Each week we aim to bring you the true stories of student affairs. Over the course of this podcast, we hope to bring you both voices that feel like they are telling your own story and those that bring you stories you've never heard before. The podcast with expert guests and practical advice. Get ready to learn and become the best higher ed professional you can be. Welcome to Student Affairs Voices from the Field. I'm your host, Dr. Corliss Bennett, and I am happy to have you here. This podcast is sponsored by NASPA. Now, I know I say this every time that I'm so happy, but I really am when I have the opportunity to uh, have on the podcast someone that I truly know and have known <laughs> for tw- 20 years, which is crazy to even, almost 20 years, which is crazy to even think about. No, it, has, it is 20 years. 1999, we both started in our prospective cultural centers at the University of Southern California, Dr. Raquel Torres-Ratana. Um, she was the director of El Centro Chicano, and I was the director of the Center for Black Cultural and Student Affairs. And we both came from this kind of pre-college piece. She worked in actual pre-college programs, and I actually worked in admissions and worked with her and those different types of programs to admit students to the university. So it's really crazy how folks get into student affairs, because most of the time admissions is under enrollment management. And then you coming from not even a, a higher ed situation, but doing a lot of pre-college work and how we how that merges together with our experience. So I present to you my friend, my colleague, my former boss, Dr. Ra- uh, Dr. Raquel Torres Ratana. How are you this morning? Good morning. I am doing well, Corliss. It it has been a long journey, hasn't hasn't it? And it really has. And it's so, wow, here we are. We are, you know, yeah, 20 years, a little bit more than 20 years later. And um, it's been an amazing journey. And and I'm glad to have you by my side as we went along and we um, experienced many of the same things together or at different times. But it's been good. It's been really good. And I'm very, very happy to be here, happy to be with you and happy to be with NASPA and doing this podcast and for our, our fellow student affairs folks from throughout the, the country and probably the world, right? We're global now. Yeah. Absolutely. Well, NASPA is definitely worldwide. And what's been so fun about this podcast is I've, I've interviewed so many different folks about so many different topics that you just don't get a chance to really talk about deliberately you know, while you're at NASPA, you, you do when you have these private conversations, but I think I'm so excited that NASPA, first of all, elected me as its inaugural host to be able to pull and have these um, wonderful conversations with our colleagues. So you are at, at Pasadena City College, which is one of, I want to say, 113 community colleges in California. That is correct. Yes. And tell us just a little bit of information about like, how many students, are there satellite campuses and things of that nature? Just kind of give us a brief general rundown. So Pasadena City College has been around since the 1920s. It started as a junior college together with Pasadena High School, and then um, shortly thereafter became its own um, campus and and, um, has morphed into a a California community college. Right now, we have about 30,000 students, and we are a full comprehensive community college in that we offer college credit courses where students want to transfer to a four-year institution or if they want to complete their Associate of Arts or Associate of Science degree. And then we also have certificates 
And we have also a non-credit adult school program. So we are very comprehensive. We have workforce um, certificates and, and programs. Right now, we have three off-site locations is what we call them. So we have our Foothill Campus, which is predominantly the non-credit, the adult schools, the GED programs, ESL, um, personal development type programs. We have Rosemead, where I am the dean of the Rosemead Satellite Campus. And this, we are 98% college uh, credit courses. Over 90% of our students have the intentions of completing an associate degree with the intention to transfer to a four-year institution. And recently, we just opened up a what we call PCC Northwest, which is on the grounds of John Muir High School at Pasadena, in Pasadena. Um, And so, yeah, so they have one building uh, throughout the the state and throughout the country. Enrollment is going down, you know, due to birth rates. And so they had some space. And so PCC came in. And so that, again, is fairly new. We're still in the development stages for our, our PCC Northwest, which again is on the grounds of of John Muir. Here at Rosemead, we probably, you know, every semester is different because we have open enrollment, but our population during the fall can reach up to 3,000 students. Um, in the spring, we, you know, we dip down a little bit anywhere between 25 and 2,800 students. So we opened our doors at Rosemead in 2013. I was not here. I was still at um, USC with you, Carlos. Um, <laughs> and so I joined the PCC team in 2015 as the chief administrator here at the Rosemead campus. And just recently, I was I got the dean position and title to oversee the, the Rosemead uh, campus and site. So basically, you are the chief officer for that campus in the sense. Yes, and that includes both student services as well as academic services. So um, my responsibilities include working with faculty, again, the academic side of the house, working with the other deans, with the the academic division deans to ensure that we're offering the courses that are necessary for our students with their intentions, right, to to, um, transfer um, and ensuring that that we're providing that. And then I also, also oversee the student services side, the student affairs piece of it as well. It's interesting how you're able to take as a practitioner your student affairs side and blend it with the academic affairs side. Absolutely. And, and I really have to say that I think that's what's allowed me coming in with, with no academic experience, right, or the academic side of the house, being able to apply and share my knowledge and experience as a student affairs practitioner with our faculty has been amazing. It has really, really helped me out a lot and being able to share with faculty. Also, I think what has helped me is that being inside the classroom, as, as you know, Cordis, I also am a adjunct um, assistant professor at USC in the Rossier School of Education. And so that knowledge of theory and sharing it and bring and, and applying it here um, and talking with faculty and being able to express my knowledge and experience inside the classroom, I think also gives me credibility with the faculty um, because I know what it's like to be inside the classroom and how to apply um, that theory to the, the pedagogy and, and the curriculum and how do we help with our students and really enhancing the classroom experience as well. Right. So I know I talked a little bit about your background, but just go ahead and give us you sure. know, your background and how you arrived to this point as far right. as how student affairs has now put you in a situation where you're able to apply to both st- student affairs, student services and academic affairs. Yeah, it was a path that I didn't really plan out. It just kind of happened. And that's um, usually what happens. <laughs> yeah, you know, and it happened because of passion. 
And it happened because I wanted to make sure that I was my authentic self. And I'm a first generation Chicana born and raised in the Los Angeles area. And, you know, working, working class, uh, working parents, low skilled, my, my dad had a second grade education, and my mom had a fourth grade education from Mexico. And so they just really worked hard. My mom was a very devout Catholic, and so insisted that all her nine children had a Catholic education. And that's really why we, we, we ended up going to Catholic school. And unbeknownst to us is that it really prepared us in our schooling. Our high school was a college prep institution. And so because of that, again, by default, I was prepared to go to a, to go straight into a four-year institution, which, which I did. And being at Whittier College for my undergrad was a life-changing experience. And really everything that we study as student affairs, my identity development, who I am as a person, um, and who I want to contribute as a citizen to our community and, and our society. And I realized that education was a life-changing experience for me. And I wanted just to share that with other people, particularly people of color and low-income students. And so I really had this social justice framework. Uh, while in college, I also served as a, a college, a peer advisor, kind of like it was Kelso, but it's kind of like a talent search upward bound. And that, that just, again, was my calling and this, that's what I wanted to do. And so I was able to do, like you, you had mentioned, I did pre-college outreach um, for CalSOAP. I was the director of the, the South Coast Consortium working out of the Whittier area, but really it was parts of Los Angeles. We went as, as far as Inglewood. We, Morningside High School was one of our schools. We came in the San Gabriel Valley. El Monte area was one of our schools. We were at La Puente. We even went down to Orange County. Some of the Santana and Anaheim high schools were also in our area. And it was all pre-college and really sharing uh, sharing the gospel of education is what it was, right? It, it was talking about um, being helping our students understand that college was was a pathway for them, and then doing financial aid so that they can understand how to pay for that college experience. And I did that for six years, and it was amazing. And I decided then that I wanted to do retention. I knew that what we were doing to get students into college was working, but I wasn't sure if we were retaining them. And I wanted my next contribution to be retention and ensuring that students were graduating uh, with their college degree. And, and, and at that point, the director of El Centro Chicano at USC was retiring after 20 years. And it really was just, uh, you know, I, I was reading the Chronicle of Higher Ed. There was a position open. Open and I applied. And that was one, I've made a lot of good decisions in my career, but that one was an amazing, it just opened up so many doors, not just for me um, in my career, but the opportunity to help students and really uh, work together alongside you and others and, and for, the, for the service of our students. Um, and so I joined USC in 1999 as their director of, of El Centro Chicano, really focused on um, working with not just Latino students, but again, Curtis, working alongside you so that we were working with all students of color. We were working with all low-income students um, and really partnering so that we can support them as best we could. We had amazing supervisors. Dr. Michael Jackson uh, really encouraged me to to seek uh, my my doctorate and really was a very supportive um, environment for me. And, and so I did that. I also had the opportunity to change gears a little bit and do student conduct, which really threw me a curveball. I was not expecting that at all. And I wasn't sure how my calling to social justice would align with um, with student conduct. I, re- I was really at a cross point. I wasn't sure how that fit. But that, again, was an amazing experience and working 
I think at that point, working in student conduct was really the first time the majority of the students that I worked with were not students of color and they were not low income students. Um, and so USC having a very uh, well, the dominant culture was is a white dominant culture and um, the Greek life uh, was very it was a dominant culture. Um, and so what I found myself was at, at student, in student conduct, student judicial affairs and community standards, SJACs, I found myself really working with, uh, with a population I hadn't really worked with before. Um, and I learned a lot. I learned from our students and I ultimately, I learned that students are students and they're all in their development. And unfortunately for those students, they found, they found themselves in a place where they made poor decisions and really trying to help them navigate what that meant for not so much of who they were as students, but who they were as people, and really looking at a holistic approach and helping them develop into being better themselves, right? Their authentic voice and, and helping that through that and, and leading a department where it was so respectful of all students. And, and that was, again, an, an amazing experience while I was still uh, working on my, my doctorate and, and having children. I had my, my last child in 2002 while I was in, in taking um, courses in my doctorate. And I was still at Ascentra at the time, but it's been quite a journey raising a family, being a woman of color and being and pursuing a, a career in, in student affairs and, and all that, that piece came together. So it's been good. I can't, re- I, re- I think I kind of remember that, but for whatever reason, when you said nine siblings, my eyes got big. I was like, oh my God, eight brothers and sisters. Like, wow, that's, that's one thing. And I totally understand the first gen piece as far as being, you know, going and, and learning all this stuff about college, but learning it as soon as you got there. I didn't, I didn't have the opportunity to be in an Upward Bound or a Cal Soap or any of those programs because I went to private school, which didn't mean anything. Um, you know, I went to uh, St. Mary's Academy in Inglewood, but that's, we were still, you know, my dad worked two jobs and all of that. So it's because we were in a private school, I didn't qualify to be a part of the Upward Bound Talent Search or any of those things. But I got it firsthand when I got to UC Riverside and was a part of the EOP, Educational Opportunity Program. And that program, like Cal Soap, helped me to get through and programs like that. And so, you know, having, you know, you're used to having a big family. So you're used to seeing your parents work and work with a big family. And then you turn around. <laughs> you had one child when you got to USC. I had two. No, no, before. Because when yeah. I got to, yeah, I had my first one, my eldest was in 95. And then my, my middle one is in 98. So I got right. two. Yes. Right. So you, right. Okay. So and yeah. it was a little baby. That's right. The so little baby. Little baby, yeah. uh, which is the middle child <laughs> when you got there. And yes. it was just like, how can you balance that would working. But I think what happens is, and I can definitely see this with other colleagues out there, kids were raised in college. Absolutely. They were raised in a college environment. They have the personality because you brought them to the office, to events. Students, you probably had some students that were babysitters. I'm Absolutely. sure of it. Yeah. And, and so learning and having your students then have these role models of seeing students, you know, that's all they knew was we got to right. go to college because that's just how it is. Right. And as a first generation, to, and I'm not a parent, even though I have 40,000 kids, but to be a parent that you know, coming from your background to now raising second generation college students is really something while doing an El Centro job, while doing a student conduct job, because now they're now they're damn near grown. The last one is finishing up, correct? 
Yes, she's a senior in high school. Oh my God, I can't believe that. So to have all that going on at the same time and raising not one, not two, but three girls, tell us a little bit about how you were able to kind of, you know, blend with that. You know, your husband, David, obviously was very instrumental in helping. Tell us a little bit how you're able to blend family life with higher education. It was hard, Carlos. I'm not even going to lie. It was it was really difficult. And uh, being raised in an environment, and, and again, you and I are around the same generation, where you didn't mix family life with work mm-hmm. life. That wasn't professional. And that's how we were raised, right? And even though I, I went to work with my mom a couple times, you know, my mom cleaned houses. And so on my days off, or if I was feeling sick, she still needed to go. So it, it wasn't like a corporate job. You know, we just went to someone's home and I helped her clean the house. She was a domestic. But being in, in that environment, I wasn't sure. I wasn't sure what that was going to look like when I when I got to USC. And I, again, I had this image that I had to separate my family life, my personal life with my with my professional career. And I remember going to one of our first LPA. LPA was the Latino Parent Association. And the LPA met on Saturday mornings, once a month. And I went to my first meeting, you know, introduced myself. This is who I am. And the parents, you know, they all, they're very monolingual, very, very dominant Spanish language. Um, they said, well, we heard you had a family. We heard we had you had children. And I said, yes, that's true. And they said, well, where hmm. are they? And I'm like, well, they're at home, <laughs> you know, with you know, the dad watching them. And they said, no, 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 we're mm. family here. And you are more than welcome on Saturday mornings to bring your family. And I was floored. I was completely floored. And I just said, this is the perfect place for me. And so every LPA meeting, Saturday mornings, I'd wake up my kids, bundle them up. And you're absolutely right. The students were my babysitters. Um, I never felt that I had to, while at work, of course, you know, um, when they're small, you got to make sure they're okay. But the students did an amazing job and they just rose to it. And I think this is where the cultural piece comes in, particularly, and I'm, I'm assuming it's very similar uh, in the African-American community, but in the Latino community, there's children around and everybody takes care of them, right? Mm-hmm. It really does take a village. And so the students, I didn't even have to ask them. It, they just stepped up and said, you need to go run the meeting. You need to be with the parents. Give us the children, give us the kids. And just this level of confidence. And it was truly like this... Again, I was used to being with the large family and my nieces and nephews. We all do that, right? We all did that. And so it, it was seamless um, with my students at El Centro. Absolutely. And, and that was good. And I, I did end up having uh, my third child, Viviana, um, in 2002 while I was still at El Centro. And she truly mm-hmm. was a Trojan baby. Now I completely understand uh, what it means to be a, a Trojan baby or, you know, all these babies. Every campus has this, right? And you're right. They grew up on USC's campus. They can do college tours, I'm sure. <laughs> right. Campus tours, I'm sure, at USC because they, they grew up there and they were raised by not just the students, but they were raised by um, the parents and they were raised by mm-hmm. you, right? Auntie Coco. They were raised by my by my colleagues that we all came together and really understood you know Norman topping um, and serving as as a mentor with the Norman topping student aid fund for our first generation um, low-income students at USC and and doing the retreats right and and so yes my children grew up with that and I do have to say very fortunately that um, you're right college was not a question Um you know, sometimes the, the the work, right? It's like, oh, do, you know, my children would say, "Do I really want to do this?" And they go back, and and it's almost like they don't they don't know anything different, and and um and and putting that together. Uh, but it was difficult at time as well too, because not knowing as a as a first first generation college student, 
you, you, you try to find your way. Um, I had to remember, and you know this too, we're also first generation Mm -hmm. careers. Um, and so not knowing what the culture is or what the climate is and, and being, you know, kind of tiptoeing around, um, who can I share this with? Where can I get some guidance? Um, and so there had been folks um, at the USC campus, Judy Biggs Garbuyo, I have to say, is uh, uh, one who somewhat mentored me as a, as a mom in the field and, and watching her and, and seeing how she navigated being a parent um, and, and also being um, being, you know, having your career where being a working woman of what well, she wasn't of color, but nonetheless, understanding that and, and understanding the role. And I remember one time, one of my students, um, she had already graduated and she came back, she was an El Centro student and she came back and she said, you know, when I first saw your children at the center, she yeah. kind of got upset that my children were there. And by the time she had graduated, she came back and she said, thank you for doing that. Thank you for showing us that you can be a working mom. And this is how you have mm-hmm. a work-life balance because you can't do just one without the other. And, and she, you know, I didn't even realize she's like, thank you mm. for breaking the barrier. Um, thank you for being, you know, uh, uh, putting like a tracker, right. Going out there and just doing it because it needs to be done. And I hadn't even, that's not why I was doing it. I was just doing it because it was convenient. My kids needed a place to go, right. Um, during the breaks or when they got out of school early, I'd go pick up my kids from school during my lunch hour and bring them back to, to campus with me. So it was really interesting that as a a younger female, she saw that as Mm. breaking barriers. Um, and I hadn't really thought about it that way. Yeah, it was interesting. Absolutely. No, that's that's something else. And and it's just something, you right? know, that would be a great dissertation to be able to, not, <laughs> no. not, not that I'm writing another one. <laughs> no, been there, done that. Got the t-shirt, bought the video. But anyway, you know, to really look at working women or, you know, let me put it all out there, working parents while being yeah. a practitioner or a faculty member and 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 what happens with their kids in the sense of do they do and do they end up going to 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 college or not I mean, but the the other piece is i really feel like it yes. helped with their personality it did you know being around different types of college students being at all our different programs being a part so you know just like you i don't have i didn't yeah, give birth but same thing with my nieces my nieces um will are 22 and 24 this month and all they knew was usc now their mom made a terrible mistake by going to the <laughs> university of california los angeles also known as ucla <laughs> she went there for undergrad but She's been working for USC for 15 years, which is really funny. And I remember saying at the beginning, I said, oh, they're, they're, they're going to USC. Oh, Carlos, you know, we've got to let them make yeah. their mind up. My sister's so, you know, so that. And I was like, whatever, you know, but they grew up coming to my sessions, coming to the, um, when I did the pre-college things on campus. And so as they grew up, they ended up, guess what? <laughs> Leia graduated in 2018 nice. and Ariel's oh. coming out in 2020. So they are definitely Trojan family. And it's really funny when you talk about your yes. girls could do yeah. the tours. Both of them work for um, Annenberg. Leia worked for Annenberg and she was an ambassador. And she would be the one after the students did the tours with the campus. And then you break up into your majors she was the person that answered all the questions, gave the tour of the, the new um, Annenberg Center, knew all the programs. And I sat in on one of her things mm-hmm. and I just, all I could do That's was beautiful. cry. I just sat there and I was like, yeah. 
oh, like, you know what I'm saying? You just sit there and you're in awe because now yeah. she is just rattling off like I would. And she's asking questions and, and telling folks, oh, no, you know, you want to make sure you do this, this, and that, and the other. And I thought yeah. they were paying attention. Yeah, they were. And folks, I want you to know who, who those out there that have children that are trying to balance this practitioner slash faculty roles in student affairs, academic affairs, trust me when I say it works. There's living proof of students that have been successful because their parents worked in higher education and had to bring them to everything. And now you look up and my shy little Ariel, who's now right. not so little, going to be 22, she took, when Leia left, she took Leia's job. Yeah, that's awesome. So it's like, they've been dealing with my family for the last almost four years, but they just clicked because they saw us doing presentations. They came to the Latino graduations. They mm-hmm. came to the black uh, graduations. They saw how effortlessly we were up there on the mic doing our thing and, you know, presenting these awards and diplomas and blah, blah, blah. And so then it it took a part of their personality. And I can definitely say it took a part of their personality. I look at your girls and I'm just like, they were little like mine. And I just like, I I just can't believe it. The last one is graduating. I need to, I need to be at that party, by the way. Okay. Um, All yeah, right. Please don't forget me. <laughs> um, but yeah, I need to be there because I helped raise them too. Yes, you did. But yes, it, you did. But here it is, people. It is possible to raise a family, be a practitioner, go from a cultural center to conduct. The good thing about conduct, I think you were able to leave at five o'clock most days, right? When we didn't have a lot of cases, right. <laughs> when, yes. When I first started, it was it was truly a, an eight thirty to or an eight o'clock to five o'clock, you know, five p.m. It was all confidential, so I couldn't take any work home with me. Mm-hmm. Um, as as we kept going on, as my my years at in conduct continued, it got a lot busier, and we saw a, a spike in in caseload. I think it's just because of the good work we were doing. Everybody knew it, so they were sending us cases. Right. But um, towards the end, there was a lot of there was a lot of long days, a lot of ten fourteen hour days. Wow. Um, yeah, yeah. But my children were older, right? And and right. and you mentioned David. My husband is amazing. He is an amazing father. He's an amazing husband. There's no way I, I could have done my practitioner base. And then I started teaching classes as well without his support. There there's just um even my dissertation. I I we had a conversation when I started um as a couple and I said, you know, at any point if this gets too much for you or our family, it, just let me know. I can die and not have my doctorate. I'm not, you know, it, it's important, but it's my family. My family was always number one. Um, my family was always first. And so if it was going to be at the cost, if my career or my education was going to be at the cost of my family, then I didn't want it. And so we had a very, very um, open conversation about that. And I remember towards the very end, I just finished my coursework. Or maybe I needed one or two more classes in my coursework. And I saw that it was a lot for him because at this point, you know, we had another child when I started my EDD, we only had two. And so then we had another child and it was, it was a lot. And I said, listen, if I need to stop and walk away, I can do that. And he's like, woman, are you crazy? He's like, you are more than halfway done. He's like, hurry up, get your shit together and finish. <laughs> you know? I can totally see him possible. saying that. I can right, totally Kendra? see him saying that. Yeah. Um, so it was, he even knew it at this point, right? The investment was there. And so hurry up and finish. He can suck it up. And so, and so we did. And, and, you know, it's my degree as much as it is his degree. And because we worked so closely and he's just supportive, but you know, so it's, it has been, it has been tough. And and of course, I'm not sure if I've ever shared with you, you know, I've passed up positions as well 
because I put my family first. Mm. I've passed up a position to relocate my family to another state. And again, having very frank conversations with my partner and saying, you know what, not right now. I'm going to put my career on the back burner because I need to raise my children. And I wanted to make sure that they had as much as I possibly could be an active parent. Of course, if you ask them sometimes on a bad day, they said I was horrible and I was never home. I knew what it took to be a for example, a vice president or a dean of students, I knew in order to be good at your job, I knew the time commitment that it required. And I also knew what it the time requirement for a parent. And at that point, when I had opportunities present themselves to me, I didn't feel that I can do both equally well. Um, and so I did put my career on the back burner um, so that I could raise and, and be home with my children. Well, see, folks, I can definitely say you, and I know there are several out there that basically have done exactly what you've done, to be able to raise a family, to be able to uh, put a division in the sense of work-life balance. I mean, and in some days it would tip, to, you know, the, the scale would, you know, lean to the left and you just had to deal with that. And other days it would lean to the right, yeah. but being able to balance that scale as a practitioner who now has come into a role where you're a chief officer and now you have the opportunity to work with faculty and helping them understand their audience, the students, and what we need to do to continue to make them successful. It takes both sides, student affairs, collaborating with academic affairs to really make and help those students to be successful. I am so excited. Thank you so much for being a part of the podcast today. Not a problem. It has been my pleasure and, and privilege. It, it's always a, pl- a pleasure to work alongside you, Carlos. It really is. Um, and, and being able to have a nice, frank conversation. But thank you for allowing me to do that. Thank you for being able to, to inviting me to share a little bit of my story in, in being in student affairs and, and being in higher ed. Being in higher ed, now you're right. You know, it's I, I do academic as well, and so um, especially you know being here at PCC and working with first generation, being at the Rosemead site, working with our low income students, it has been a blessing to be able to do that. Well, I will say this: if you found this information to be valuable to your life and to your you know steps in student affairs and higher education, then stay tuned for more podcasts from NASPA. It is indeed a pleasure to um, have Dr. Raquel. Tortoise Ratana here, and it's also a pleasure to be your host. So please stay tuned. Every Thursday we have, we release a podcast. And if you found that this was valuable, please tell more of your practitioners out there that want to share on any topic, as you can see, but it all comes back to student affairs. Thank you again and have a great day or evening. Thanks for listening to Student Affairs Voices from the Field. If you enjoyed your time with us, tell a friend. If there's a topic you want us to discuss, let us know. If you want to be a guest, tell us your story. Email us at savoices at naspa.org. You can find all our info at naspa.org slash savoices. See you next time.